All right, we're back for part two with Clara Buchanan, CEO, founder of Hypergrow. In part one, we really got into tons of details um, about Clara in the beginning as a model and uh, in her transition into managing and, and now into the tech and business world. So, uh, Clara, you're you're making me look bad. You're so eloquent. It's it's hurting me. Well, thank you. That's very sweet of you. Um, so, Clara, you know one of the few things that I really want to make sure we can uh, have you shed to our audience is running a business at this young age of twenty five, and like a lot of the difficulties that may not be so foreseeable when a bright young person is all enthused to start a business. What are what are some of the most difficult aspects on a daily basis for you? Well, there's there's a lot that goes into shaping your future in general. It's not just about um, shape, starting a business. It's about sort of self-mastery and life mastery. So mm-hmm. people who start a business – they usually have an idea and they're bold enough to think that they can be the best at something. And so these people, this self autonomy to be able to go out and sort of shape and create their own vision and have the sort of willpower and creativity to be a creator and to bring it into the world. That's powerful. And not only is that powerful, but it's also part of a series because I believe that not only as a business shaper and creator, we should also do that to ourselves. Like, for example, for me, um, self-development is huge. Like, for example, uh, even when I was modeling, I would take online courses mm-hmm. um, through Coursera.com or .org, should I say? And I would learn all these different college courses, even though I didn't have a formal degree, just because I thought that I was curious and thought that I might need it one day. I was like, well, I want to learn. I want to learn these topics. Like I want to learn psychology. I want to learn um, advanced mathematics, (laughs) mathematics, should I say. Um, I want to learn like what the basics of physics. I want to learn the basics of business and marketing. Like I want to learn these things. And even today, it's like I place self-development first. Hmm. I so, always am so now learning you're, things. So you read like a lot of self, self-development books, self-help books. Is, do you have any to recommend, any you think that are really crucial for a, a young person today? Um, definitely, 100%. Which, which ones would you recommend? Um, so I would recommend, first and foremost, this book that I'm reading right now that it's kind of odd um, – for it's not exactly your stereotypical self-help book should i say it's called visionary creativity how mm-hmm. new worlds are born uh by john labelle i'm just grabbing it so john labelle i don't know much about him as a person but this book is beautifully written i actually ghost wrote that so if uh <laughs> i could i could shed some light you're ridiculous <laughs> You're like, uh, by the way, I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> no, it sounds very interesting. No, it's great. Um, so it talks about like what is creativity, what separates creativity from innovation, how visionary creatives like Mark Zuckerberg, et cetera, are shaping the world. 
and are really um, harnessing this power of creativity, but more so than, so this is also another concept. A lot of people believe that creativity is like, oh, well, I know how to sketch or I know how to um, do UI on a website or I know how to write a book. And creativity, in my opinion, it's not about that. It is about creating something. So if you're a business owner and if you want to start a business, you are a creator. You are using creativity. It's about making something happen, being able to have nothing and end up with something. Exactly. And then working your ass off until that, say it's very similar to a sculpture. So say you have a lump of clay. Well, you brought the lump of clay. Now what do you need to do with that lump of clay? You need to sit there and you need to shape it into your vision right. and you need to shape it and work on all the fine lines and creases and et cetera, and make, make the corners smooth and things in order for you to shape your vision. Exactly. And that's where like another big self-help author, um, Seth Godin, one of the big things he always talks about is that how people should self-identify as artists. He thinks everybody is an artist it's not just the person who puts uh, paintbrush to to canvas. It's it's everybody. It's the person who has a, a dry cleaning business. It's everybody is technically an art, artist and a creative. So uh, I really do understand what you're going at there. Um, would you say, though, I wanted to touch upon something. So you say one of the big things about being a, a young person uh, business owner is you got to really have that self-confidence that I'm going to be successful. Like there's, there's no doubt in your mind, like I'm the best at this. Like you said, did you have that same mentality with modeling or no? Oh, a hundred percent. Definitely. <laughs> like so, almost the Pokemon theme song comes to mind where it's like, I want to be the very best. I like gotcha. no one ever was. Do, 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 do. Wow. Yes. <laughs> So that so so you really had that um you, you even being in that competitive sphere and I mean business is competitive too but alongside these models do you think a lot of them had that self confidence where they like oh I'm a model I'm the best thing in the world or was there a lot of doubt because I would think there would be a lot of doubt also it's it's different it's a different thing than thinking oh I am already the best in the world there's something um different than thinking i'm already the best in the world versus thinking i will work towards becoming the best in the world and i want to be the best in the world there's there's two different forms of self-realization there mm-hmm. and so it's like as a model um i was an artist first like i was always sketching and writing and journaling and writing poetry and things and so for me, going into modeling and also having my vision shaped uh, by all those alternative models of modeling as a craft and as an art, I went into modeling as it was my craft. I went into modeling as if it was my art. Right. And so every photo shoot, I would look to better myself. I would look to better my poses. I would look to better my expressions and to better um, be a better businesswoman and a better businesswoman on set. And so it's part of, uh, it's part of having an ambition, ambition to say, Hey, I want to be the best at this, but not the best compared to other people, the best compared to myself. I gotcha. So what would you say was the, if there was one thing that really put the, the sour taste in your mouth, besides the fact that Ford got bought up and all that, what would you say was that defining thing or defining moment that was like, you know what? This is not for me anymore. Well, 
I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you two different things. One, modeling in general, it can be, uh, it can be unempathetic. So for example, um, a friend of mine last night, even, uh, she's with an agency here in New York. And this week they told her that she was overweight and they said it in a very mean way. They said it very rudely and with all sorts of well, um, negative let, connotations. Let me, so. let me interrupt you right there. What's the what's the nice way to say you're overweight, and what's the mean way to say you're overweight? So the nice way to say, um, like even for me when I was modeling um, with Ford, there was a moment where my hips were a thirty six. And I, I just have broad hips. That's who I am. I have birth and hips, as I call them. Wow. <laughs> like, I'm just... Birth I'm and built, hips. Yeah, I'm built for childbirth in that way. Like, <laughs> see, see, my hips are, like, wide. It's almost like a slide. Wow. <laughs> but, so, it's one of those things that I, I couldn't get down to the 33 if I tried. I can't. It's not... It's just not what my body shape does. Right. And so, when my booker um, back in the day had that same conversation with me where she was like, you need to lose weight off your butt, I looked at her and I was like, well, I can't because I'm already really thin. I was thinner even at the time. And it's like, I'm already really thin and my hips are just big. Like, it's just how I'm built. So, I can't do it. So, for me, I took it as a grain of salt and I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I fit the clothes. Like, you can be quiet. Like, <laughs> for lack of a better word, like, I'm not going to fret and like, freak out about losing weight because you think I need to be an exact inch measurement when I'm functioning pretty well in my day to day. So, right. So, so the nice way, so literally tell me, like if I, if I, if I was a model and you're the, you're the person who's Mm -hmm. giving me the bad news or the good news, let me, let me hear nicely said you're overweight and mean version. The nice way to say it, um, so they usually do measurements like every six months, every year, something like that. And it's usually during this time this conversation happens. So in that context, um, say if I was measuring a girl, I'd measure her and say it was a 36. I would look at her and be like, um, hey, are you fitting, just asking like from me to you, like, are you fitting the clothes that you're casting? Because they usually ask you to try on clothes. And if she said, yes, like I am, and then I'd look at her and I'd say, well, you know, the standard measurement as i'm sure you know is 33 well you're a 36 at the moment which is fine like i'm sure you look healthy you look great um how about would you be okay with picking up boxing or picking up some sort of um high cardio activity so we can make sure to maintain this make sure that um if we can get it down to maybe like a 35 or something like that just for work's sake because the fact that i'm i want to book you for better things like hmm. I want to send you to better clients and I want to make sure that when you go to those better clients that you can be the top of your game. Okay. So that's the nice way to say it, which isn't that interesting. Let's hear the, the <laughs> let's hear the really rude way to say that to somebody. A really rude way to say that to someone um, is basically, oh my God, it's so terrible. Sorry. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. <laughs> it's basically saying hmm, 36. Okay. Um, yeah. So you can't go on castings until you get this down to about a 33 because, you know, I just, I don't think you're going to fit the clothes. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not going to work out. So I want you to go back to the apartment, the model apartment. I want you, I want you to work out. I want you to go on a big diet. Okay. I want you to just, I want you to just eat like fruit for the most part. Um, eat maybe like a little vegetarian diet, 
I want you to not, don't, don't eat sweets, don't eat things like that. And I want you to go to the gym twice a day. And then we're going to come back next week and I'm going to measure you again. And we're going to wow. see if you're a more appropriate weight. So now did you have to go on to ridiculous diets or regiments in order to sustain your career? I mean, what were you doing things like that? No, I was not. Um, and mind you, that word that I, that sentence I said a minute ago, that was never, I was never spoken to like that, but I've had numerous friends come up to me and say that their bookers have said very similar things to them mm. before, like come up to me, like crying, basically being like, Oh my God, I don't know what to do. So now for you, I mean, were you just lucky in the sense that you could go out and eat a hamburger and it doesn't matter? Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. Um, wow. it's like, I'm, I'm five ten and I'm naturally fit. And so it's one of those things that I just, I can kind of eat whatever I want. So which did, is you, great. did you give thought to it? Like, were you thinking, well, huh? I mean, even though I can get away with eating this hamburger, if I don't eat this hamburger and then this donut, like, and I really take it to the nth degree, am I going to look that much better? Did you, did you ever think like that or not really? No, never thought like that. Um, I've always naturally eaten healthy. Like I've naturally like, sure I'll eat burgers and fries, but I don't eat it like every night. Like I'll, uh, I naturally, if I cook for myself, especially, I naturally kind of resort to a vegan diet. And so it's just, it's one of those things that I have a naturally balanced diet. I walk a good amount. I'm active. Um, and so I, I never really had to worry about my diet. I never really had to worry about, oh, well, if I eat this, I'm going to get fat. Were a lot of your peers very like lucky. that? Were a lot of your peers like that? <laughs> for the, for the most part, yes. I mean, when you're a five ten female, I mean, right. But there were a few girls, definitely, that they had to monitor their diets constantly. They counted calories. They um, counted how much, how many calories they burned at the gym, et cetera. They were very closely monitoring themselves. And at least the ones that I met, thank God, they were doing it in a healthy way for the sake of they weren't, they weren't compromising and they weren't making themselves um, be malnourished or anything like that. I gotcha. Now, um, would you say that uh, a lot of these uh, – well, okay. I guess wh- I kind of want to ask you about – a little bit about the culture. Um, were there any really, really crazy, ridiculous stories that happened just being in that world, especially being a Virginian girl coming to uh, New York City and – were there crazy scenarios where somebody made a proposition to you for moving up for to a cover or something like that? <laughs> I know you're getting that. Seriously. <laughs> um, so fun fact that actually happens to women less than it does men. Really? Yeah. Male models usually get propositioned um, a little bit more heavily than women do. Man, maybe I should get into male modeling. Um. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you could. <laughs> wow. I mean, you're saying that happens like a female f- photographer, a female executive would say to a male model. Uh, Other, nope, nope, nope. Sorry. Male to male. Oh, okay. Male to male. Oh, has it ever happened the other way? I um, think. I don't know. I haven't heard about it much. I just hear about, um, or I heard about from male to male. Wow. Like I had a good amount of male model friends. Um, one male model, I remember I was doing a photo shoot with him and he, he was gorgeous. You know, like you're looking at him and you're like, this guy is beautiful. Um, I was doing a photo shoot with him. It was for an editorial and he didn't talk much. He was pretty quiet. And so I walked over to him and I was like, Hey, what's up? Like, 
what's your story? Why are you so quiet? <laughs> like, I'm just like, right, right. being like the cheeky cheer, the cheeky uh, chipmunk. And he's talking to me and we're talking about modeling and stuff. And I have a tendency to open people up when I talk to them. And so um, we're talking to SML modeling and going things like that. And he expresses to me, he's like, well, recently um, my manager, she approached me and she said that I should um, not, I should tone down my accent because he was a, he was a gay man and he, he had a bit of like that flair to oh. him, which is fine. But she was like, you should, you know, be more masculine. And he was like, why? And she was like, because I don't want you to be put in like sexual situations where sexual favors might come into the conversation. Oh my God. Yeah. And he was like, Oh, well, okay. And so that week he was a little shooken up by it and was like trying to sort of, um, rebrand himself and redo his actions and his outward persona to, as a protection mechanism. And the thing is I've talked to several male models and several male models have sure been approached with such a thing much more than you'd think the average female model, but does it happen every day? Definitely not. Like maybe once a year, maybe it's, it isn't about the industry. It's about people. Right, right, right. I gotcha. So, um, within the whole modeling world, I'm sure there's a community. Is there, and you're a young person in New York, is there a lot of dating between, um, models? Would you, would you date a lot of your, uh, a coworker you met on set or something like that? So I dated a boy for four years and we met on a photo, on a photo shoot and he was a male model. Um, but that's the closest. So normally female models, um, it definitely, it segments you. It segments you off from the rest of society in the fact that you just, you don't go to the same places as a lot of other people, especially your age. Um, usually hanging out with around like mid thirties and up people who are usually businessmen or um say like for example for me i dated musicians i dated directors i dated um ceos of companies and things like that because that's who i had access to that's so where, where would you around. so explain that where would you because a regular 25 or 23 year old girl in new york city you know they go to a bar they go to a club maybe they're on a a, a dating app something like that how would you be in these circles this would be private parties, private events. How, how are you rubbing shoulders with, for instance, a CEO of a company? So private events, uh, private parties, a lot of that, um, a lot of invite only sort of thing with like curated audiences. And, and frankly, it's like, if you're, if you're a pretty girl that's smart and you're a model and you're signed by four, some other top agency, you're going to get invited to cool things because you're, your ambience. <laughs> so I can say it like, like you're not only like a really cool person they want to invite. You also, um, it's like your it decoration like, for a party in a way. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, I, listen, I, I get it. So you would go to these things, which is awesome. And, uh, would a CEO just like approach, like how, how would that work out? So dating has always, I'll tell you from my personal experience, I'm not going to speak broadly. Um, men rarely approach me. Like in general, I mean, it's, it's happened a lot more since I've started a business and I'm, I'm making eye contact with people a lot more and not having a resting bitch face. For, right. But it's, <laughs> for it's a, a problem. Word. A lot of guys don't approach girls and especially yeah. you would think like a model level girl would get approached at, at a Starbucks or at out in public. But I think it's actually the reverse. I think oh, a lot yeah, of, definitely, <laughs> which is crazy. Why do you think that is? 
it's just is it intimidation what is it you can say intimidation um but it's mostly people psych themselves out like for example um there's a lot of stereotypes about models being like stupid or bitchy or uh stuck up and like all the sorts of things that society puts in our minds and so but then in the day people are people it's that person and what that person uh feels and does and acts but anyway so say uh Here's here's an adorable example that happened recently. Um, I was on the subway and there was and I sat down in front of this guy and this guy was like standing like near me. It was somewhat of a crowded train and he like looked like a tech guy. And so I like looked by the way he dressed stuff and I was like, oh, I, w- I wonder if he works in tech. He has a backpack and everything. <laughs> so <laughs> the Warby Parker glasses. And so I... Uh, I look up and I go to um, look at his face and I make eye contact for like a second and then like look beside his face like that whole like, wait, do I know you? Nope, I don't. Awkward. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And so then I'm looking like to the side, right? And dude, um, so he ends up like moving closer to me and uh, ends up like, you know, you can see that he kind of wants to talk to me, but like isn't. Right. So I end up, I take out my headphones, right, to just kind of test it and be like, okay, was he gonna, is he gonna say anything, right? And <laughs> then I like, I go to like look up past his head again to uh, look at the stops, but also to like make that sort of like, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you, just like not like being like super direct about it right right right, right. <laughs> and so like doing like su- like very like subtle sort of like so and, and when you do that and, and i'm mm-hmm. kind of speaking broadly here with women is yeah. that you're testing to see if if he's gonna take the leap is that what's going on here uh, yeah for sure you're, we're opening ourselves up so when i take my headphones out that means like oh right right well you know i might be interested in like saying hi so what does that- this guy do so I, I make it very obvious that it's, like, with my body language and, like, looking near him and stuff like that. Like, I didn't say hi. Notice I didn't say hi. Like, if I was, like, actually interested in him, like, dating aspect, I might have, like, been first been like, hi, but hi, how are you? What's your name? Um, but I didn't. I was being a little bit more uh, introverted that day or shy or whatever. But so um, at that point, like, I remember looking up towards the stops and he looks down and he gets like a good look at my face and he froze up. <laughs> like wow. you see his body like literally like locking down a bit and his body language changing to where he's like, he, he, you can tell butterflies were in his wow. stomach. Now, when that, when that happens to a guy and you're mm-hmm. a girl looking at that, is that, are you shut down completely? Like you're like, oh, I, I mean, I'm not attracted to this individual anymore. I think it's adorable. Oh, no, you think, think it's adorable. I think it's adorable and not only that, but that's what bravery is. Bravery is when you're scared, but you do it anyway. <laughs> hmm. So did he do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. So, um, so, okay. So in public and stuff, it's, it's not so easy to be a model, even, uh, even a regular girl. I mean, it's with today's culture, there's less and less people that are approaching women in public or vice versa because why i guess people think why should i because look how many people i could swipe left or right in my in my pocket with tinders and all that stuff are you on those types of apps no (laughs) no so i'm not i remember uh there was a time like after i broke up with uh the 
classical musician that I got on Tinder for like two days, right? <laughs> so I'm on Tinder, I'm on OkCupid, I'm on uh, just mostly those two sites. Yeah. And I remember when I signed up to OkCupid, I got um, I got about how many messages? Probably about anywhere between 30 and 60 messages per hour. Oh my! And uh, because you, and you're putting your professional modeling pictures up. I mean, definitely. Well, I put up a lot of them were like selfies or like. Of course, it was usually at photo shoots, but it was like a photo I took on my phone, like being yeah, like, "Oh my god, right. I like this makeup." Mm. <laughs> now, don't but don't you think? I mean, a big portion of it, not just for girls, but for guys, is if you are a model, you have some pictures that are really just tremendous. If you yeah. go on Tinder and you put those up, I mean, especially for a girl, every time you swipe right you must be getting a match, right? I mean, a lot of times, sure. I mean, now that I work in tech, I know that Tinder's algorithm makes it so that people that like you are usually pushed more towards the front anyways. And so (laughs) the odds are, you know, increased that way. But yeah, for the most part. And it's like, okay, Cupid was the most, because Tinder, at least, I understand why women are on Tinder. Women are on Tinder because the fact that they want a dating experience that is maybe a little expedited, maybe they're looking for a quick hookup, whatever. But it depends on the girl. But at the end of the day, Tinder is a curated experience. You only speak to who you swipe right, which is super powerful for a woman. Now, on OkCupid, I was getting flooded with messages. And these messages were not original messages. They were pickup lines. They were guys oh, right. that obviously copy-pasted something and sent it to, like, just mass-fire girls. And it's like, I'm sorry, but you're not you're not running sales for your company. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. You're like, not cold-calling to sell uh, toilet paper or something. Legit. And I'm like, and if you treat your you as, like, an entity like you are selling toilet paper, then guess what I think of you? I think you're freaking toilet paper. <laughs> right. But I think the sad thing is, like, to me, because I, you know, I'm on some of them, and mm-hmm. I I think a big problem is is that it really gives you a false sense of how many people are out there to really have potential with. Because in the past, before all this crazy technology, I mean, let's just say from you're from your small town in Virginia, so you go out to the same few bars with all the young people, and the few people or girls that you think are really attractive i mean you're gonna make a move and even if one of them has a limp or you know (laughs) maybe doesn't have a job or something you're gonna think you know my perspective in the spectrum of girls isn't so far like this is one of the best options i have and now in your phone because you you can go on all these apps and you can talk to all these girls it gives you a false sense of how realistic it is to really have a connection with some of these girls and have something real. Um, if you look at it with rose-colored glasses, then yes. But there is, there's always the reality that someone could be like the hottest, most well-dressed, most well-paid, whatever person on the planet. But if they're a dick, then you're not going to want to date them. I got you. What, so- t- what turns you on to like? What turns you on about guys? as a model or as a formal <laughs> and a CEO because you're a pretty good catch. I mean, a CEO and a model. If anybody's Thanks. listening, um, trying to, to write some tips down. Well, so tip number one, um, be emotionally intelligent. So women, women speak in subtleties. It's what we do. 
Um, a lot of women are not as direct as most men, even though I'm, I'm very much the opposite. I'm very direct. Like I will tell you exactly what I want when I want it. <laughs> it's just the kind of person I am. Okay. But a lot of women won't. A lot of women, um, they, this is something that, uh, someone, a guy said to me recently, he was like, so men lead, but women command. And so it's that thing where women, they kind of like for men to take the lead, at least per capita. I'm speaking in generals, but we like it for men to make the first move. We like it for men to like say hello. And there's many ways you can say a very genuine hello. How, what's the best one? What would you say is the best? Let's just say we're both in line at Starbucks and, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a little eye contact. Um, we're, we're a few people yet before we have to to go up and order our venti whatever Mm -hmm. um what would be a really great opener for a guy to come up and say to you what what would really not be something ridiculous but be impressive what would you like to hear so first and foremost um you have to gauge it you have to gauge like oh well what type of girl do i think this is what sort of uh things that i think she's into like you you judge in your mind you're like okay i think i think that she she might be cool right (laughs) and so you can either open up um with like something simple like using context to like create like a little very g-rated joke or something like that um but the most genuine way that i've been approached and it's only been like two guys ever that did it this way but it was great um a guy came up to me and he was like hi excuse me and I was like, yes. So, of course, he was dressed well. He had like a he had a, a nice styled like outfit on that was color coordinated and things. And so I looked at him and <laughs> color I, I, coordinated. I color coordinated is important. <laughs> I gotcha. But I look at him and uh, I, I was trying to figure out if I knew him because I meet a lot of people. So I'm looking at him and I'm like, hi. And he's like, my name is Michael. And I'm sorry, I just saw you crossing the street just now. And you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're elegant. You you look. You piqued my curiosity. Like I I want to get to know you. Can is it okay if we get coffee? Like would wow. you would you be open to that? It sounds like a serial killer to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow. That is like almost. Uh, that's very seductive. It's it's seductive, but it's honest. That's really what it is. You're just you're just being honest. Do people like honesty that much, though? That's the thing, because I love being honest. I think being honest and upfront is fantastic, but there's not a lot of people who actually want that. I want that. I uh, want people to be honest to me. I don't want a guy to come up to me and say, oh, baby, you look fantastic in that dress. I'm mm, loving those <laughs> curves. Like, I don't want that kind of honesty. <laughs> no, I got you. I, got I want you. tasteful honesty. Tasteful honesty is a fantastic way to start any relationship between two people. Think about it. What do I want out of a mate? I want him to be honest above all else. I want him to be hopefully loyal, but, you know, with honesty, it's like we could talk with one another and be like, oh, well, is monogamy your thing? Cool, cool. My thing too. Um, but it, honesty is one of the key pillars of any successful relationship. Yeah, yeah. And so opening with that, that's not terrible. Is... um. As do, as I'm just curious, uh, as a CEO and like a substantial businesswoman, somebody who's you know been a Ford model, can like can a guy who works at Taco Bell come up to you and just like can you be intrigued by that kind of individual? No, like depending do job factors and stuff like that come into play? 
being honest since you love honesty so, <laughs> so um it's there's a whole lot of factors in general that comes into who i date so first and foremost job i'm not gonna say it doesn't matter because it does and it doesn't it doesn't matter for just me i'm a woman I have a womb inside of my body. I am built to create people. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a people creation factory. You know? That's no. a fact. But yeah. And so part of me, it's, I can't just think of myself. The things when women say, oh, well, he has to have a good job and he has to have like, he has to get, have a good head on his shoulders, things like that. It's, it's also instinctual for us to look for those things because we know that if we happen to continue on with this person for a long time, and then we want to continue on with someone who right. can help us raise a family. That actually is makes a lot of sense. I've never heard it said like that, but it really does. It it hit it hits home a little bit because I guess it it isn't such a selfish um, remark. It's kind of like you're thinking for two potentially two people. Yeah, and that's ingrained in us. Like ever since we hit like past a little bit past puberty. The way your brain thinks, it just it slowly changes over time to be more children oriented. So when it's just hormones. So do you think about that a lot? Do you think as a as a businesswoman with people depending on you and companies and stuff like that, do you think how that has to fit into your prospective game plan of having kids or a family or something like that? Oh, well that's one of the main reasons why I started a business. Instead of working for anyone, I was like well, I have to kind of do my own thing. And one of the reasons why, aside from it's the kind of person that I am, I'm a creator, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm uh, strong-minded, should I say, and hard-headed in the fact that I want, to, I want to figure it out. I want to go forth and I want to conquer my dreams. But beyond that, I wanted to nest. I wanted to say, oh, well, I want my family to be happy one day. One day I want to provide. And it isn't one of those things like, oh, I need to make all this money so that I can get a stay-at-home husband that takes care of my kids and like gender switching roles. It's not about that. It's more so about if I leverage myself and set up my world so that I'm self-sustaining and I'm my own island that generates enough money for myself and kids, etc. And then no matter who I meet, it'll be an addition. And so if I meet a guy who is a another fantastic CEO, we can give each other like business advice and like love one another and help one another and always be supportive of one another. And he makes equal income to me. And that's a double that I get to support my children and to support our future. Yeah, It makes sense. It makes sense. Um, wow. I'm very, I was, I'm a little taken by your explanations here. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very impressed. Um, so, uh, Getting back into business a little bit, we only got a, a few minutes uh, left here with Clara. Uh, once again, Clara, this is Clara Buchanan, the CEO and founder of Hypergrow, a um, a strategy and growth marketing firm that uh, works with companies, uh, a lot of tech startups. Um, Clara, what what are some of the things that uh, are one of the, I guess, the most common failures you see? that businesses are practicing when you first come in? Like what are some of the the biggest no-nos you see right away that a company does, the most common? So first and foremost, I'll touch on the statistic that nine out of 10 startups fail. And I'm here to tell you that at least about seven out of that 10 fail for very obvious reasons. 
they fail because, for example, um, if you're a solopreneur, your chance and percentage of success is much lower because you're just you're doing it yourself. There's only you're exchanging your time for money at that point. And there's only so much that one person can do. Yeah. When you have two, three, four people, you two, three, four x that amount of work and amount of effort that can be put into it. And so, being a solo entrepreneur, it it sucks. I had to do it for the longest time, and for the most part, I'm still kind of doing it in a way. And it's it's hard. It's very hard. Um, it's hard to start something new. But there are several other things like inexperience. Inexperience is another fantastic way, but the only way to get experience is to do stuff. Yeah, it's a catch twenty two. Yeah, it's not. So, so you would say, um, so you would say having a, su- a support system in the, from the get go is is a, is a big uh, factor in terms of increasing your chances of of actually sustaining a company. Yes, absolutely, it is. Wow, and making making sure that. Um, so culture and forming a culture for yourself is not only important for your business, it's important for your self-development. So surround yourself by people who have either done it and are willing to mentor you and sort of guide you and make sure these people are just really good people in general, as well as accomplished. Um, okay. cause they'll be influencing you, like at least influencing your mindset and stuff like that. Just make sure it's a positive influence and respect yourself enough to do that. Um, Two, when it comes to your friends and to business contacts, things like that, that maybe aren't mentors, but are close people, I suggest uh, finding people who are on similar paths to yourself. Hopefully you're in the same industry. Hopefully you're doing pretty much the same thing or very close to it or dealing with the same type of people and pick people that are a little bit farther than yourself and are a little bit ahead of you. Right. A little further down the stream. It helps a lot. Um, if you had to give one tip, one simple strategy for growth for a business, a company, what, yes. what, what's a free tip you could give right now? Um, don't build an audience, borrow one. Okay, explain, build on that a little bit. Explain that a little further. So for example, you're a podcast. That's, that's what your company, that's what this entity that we're speaking within does. So as a podcast, it's actually awesome and brilliant for you to interview people who are of high influence. That is effectively borrowing an audience. So for example, thank you. After, yes. Are, were you calling me brilliant or the podcast? Yes. <laughs> thank you. I, I was just... saying you're doing smart things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And so for example, um, after this podcast go li- goes live, I'll share it with my audience and you'll share it with your people and the people that are of my audience that like this topic, they like the vibe, they like um, hearing like the questions and the mood of it and everything, they're likely to explore other podcasts on your channel. And that is effectively driving traffic. And if you were to interview these high influence people as well, and then that's a portion of their audience that comes and checks out your work. Right. And so it's important. And Clara, we should say, has like almost 15,000 followers on Twitter, which is uh, pretty remarkable. And I just lost 12 from my 42 in, in, in the past Sorry. hour. Uh, no, but so what is But seriously, a lot, seriously, though, a lot of uh, a lot of people, even for non, you know, business reasons, would love to have a lot of followers. How do you get a lot of followers on Twitter? So there's multiple ways to do it. Besides um, paying for it. 
besides paying for it, there's a lot of ways to do it. So first off, what's happening to you? And I'll explain that. Um, you're losing followers because people are doing follow and follow. So follow and follow is something that pretty much everyone does. If you're on Instagram, if you're on Twitter, it's it's just a thing that most people have access to now because there's tools like Managed Flitter and uh, Unfollowers Me and Crowdfire and all these sort of um, tools that you can use to target people and unfollow people. And when you target these people, um, so the intelligent way to do this is, say for me, I'm a growth hacker. So I'd go to someone like Neil Patel or uh, Sheeton Hall. I'm pretty sure that's how I see his name. And uh, or Heightenshaw. Sorry, switched around the letters. Um, but I'd go around to these people and I would look at their following and I would follow their followers. And you're and saying Twitter- those, because I don't know who they are. Those two people are, are growth hackers as well, you're saying? Yes. Okay. They're like top tier marketers okay. that are like actually really smart and pretty, like for everything that I hear, really know what they're doing. Um, so I would seek out these people on Twitter. I would go to their following, um, or the people following them, should I say, and I would mass follow their followers. Twitter caps you off at a thousand people a day. So after a thousand people a day, um, it stops you, it gives you error notification. And then the next day, um, you follow another thousand people. And after you hit the 2000 follow, you can only follow 2000 people at the beginning until you have a following. Um, and so you'll hit a roof and then you have to go back and you have to unfollow people, right? Ah. Now, the best thing to do is to unfollow the people that don't follow you back. Like that makes sense, right? Like, oh, well, they obviously weren't interested. It's been 24 hours. They didn't jump on it. Maybe they're not active or something. And then you unfollow them. Ah. And so those 12 people, maybe they saw that you're inactive or maybe they just don't know to unfollow people that are not following them back. Huh. All right. So I got to try that. That's. That's what I'm going to start doing. Maybe I can get to like 65 by the end of the week. That would be pretty incredible. Um, but Clara, this has been really fantastic. Uh, we've we've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I want to ask you just two quick rapid fire questions. Uh, number one, mm-hmm. we always ask our guests, what's their favorite brunch spot? And you're in Brooklyn, New York. So where, where what's the best brunch spot if we're in Brooklyn? So random. Um, well, it's the Cafe, name of the podcast, so we have to do it. Cafe Gia. Cafe Gia. G H I A. It's um, it's off the Jefferson L stop, and they have the best biscuits and gravy. <laughs> wow, biscuits and gravy, great. And what about Twitter account to uh, follow? What's what would you suggest as a great twitter account um probably the x prize i'm all about um peter diamandez and like the innovations that he's making for the future and so i definitely follow them and just saying as a closing remark um you'll make a lot more followers over time via collaborations with people and influencers and sharing audiences than just follow and follow just saying. <laughs> so you're saying making real connections can give you those social connections. Yes, Look exactly. Use and, quality for sure. And remember, more importantly than followers, because that's so vain, um, remember the tips to pick up a model. Guys, uh, <laughs> girls and guys out there, remember. I would keep this is a tool. You should cherish this interview because I know. 
I'm going to use the, the tricks of the trade now that I know. Be honest. Mm-hmm. Be honest and upfront and wear Warby Parker sunglasses or glasses. Be color coordinated. Color <laughs> coordination it actually is key. Is. <laughs> wow. Well, listen, Clara, thank you so much again. Remember, it's Clara Buchanan, uh, CEO, founder of Hypergrow. Uh, plug your uh, Twitter, Clara, your company and yourself. So... Um, for me on Twitter, it's at Clara underscore Buchanan, B-U-C-H-A-N-A-N. And Hypergrow, it's at Hypergrow uh, underscore I-O. And that's Hypergrow.io. Wow, great. And remember, this is probably the only growth hacker who is also a Ford model. Very rare. Thank you so much for being with us today, Clara. Of course. Okay. Thank you for having me. And we will uh, speak to you guys soon. Thanks for listening. Brunch, a podcast. I'm Mike Davis, and our executive producer was Harrison Foreman. Thank you.